So we had us some preaching going on in here the last couple weeks. I mean, I tell you, last week was a blockbuster from Jeremy, and I, I don't want to make too big a deal out of this, but I did notice that you guys paid real close attention to his preaching. I mean, I just noticed that. I also noticed last week, and again, I don't want to make a big deal out of this, but I noticed you laughed at his jokes, okay? I don't want to take it personally. Out loud, some of you laughed at his No, but seriously, what I want to ask is, with that amazing sermon last week, I simply ask you this, did you do anything about it? at all this week? Did you change your perspective from the horizontal to the vertical in the last week, or did you put it off? Because that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about today, is putting things off. I want to talk a little bit about procrastination. I know something about it. I was going to preach a blockbuster on it this week, but my week got away from me, and so, you know, I ended up finishing it yesterday. So, if we could just stand for closing prayer. Uh, No, you're not getting off that easy. What I'm going to admit to you is I know all about it, okay? And I'm plagued by it too. And I know the old motto, you know how that goes, why do today what you can put off with tomorrow? But just in case you all didn't remember this, I want to tell you this procrastination deal is a killer. And it is a formidable adversary in our lives, and we need to kill it. This kind of thing can cause people to hear a great sermon like we did last week and not do anything about it because you're going to do it later. Procrastination can cause you to hear a scripture, a devotion that motivates you to change, and yet you never change. It it can cause you to hear this word from the Holy Spirit, or the leading, or the touch. You all know what I'm talking about, and not do anything about it. One person wrote, procrastination is my sin. It brings me only sorrow. I know I should give it up. In fact, I will tomorrow. Kind of funny, kind of not. One scholar was uh, going through the Bible and trying to find significant words like the meanest word and the happiest word and the saddest word. And the word he found that was the most dangerous word in the Bible, he said, was the word tomorrow. And I think he's right. Tomorrow causes dreamers never to see their dream. Tomorrow causes uh, talented people, like, like we just saw back here, to never use their talents. They put it off. It causes sometimes people to never come to Jesus Christ at all in the first place. Charles Spurgeon once said, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Alas, tomorrow never comes. It's on no calendar except the almanac of fools. Hmm. Now, Jesus, as you can imagine, had a lot to say about this. And that's where we're going to start this morning, obviously, is Luke chapter 9, 59 to 42. It's page 742 in the Blue Bible, if you want to pull that off and follow along. By the way, if you need a Bible, you can keep that. That's what they're there for. I'm probably not going to give you enough time to look it up. So look it up and read it. You can read it while I'm speaking. But this is what what it says. Then he, Jesus, said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go and bury my father first. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. Another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Let's, uh, let's talk about procrastination a little bit. I know you remember that passage of Scripture. I want to start with some of the possible causes of procrastination. The first one I thought of was indecision. And if you want an illustration of indecision, you just go out to eat anywhere with Sarah Kelly. It takes her 45 minutes to an hour to decide what she's going to eat. You know, Putting things off, that's indecision. Uh, you go shopping with my mother-in-law. 
She'll pick up 15, 20 things depending how long you're, you're in the store. And then just before we leave, she puts them all back. Sometimes indecision, okay? Uh, that's a reason for procrastination. Other times, it's just perfectionism. Ecclesiastes verse, uh, 11 uh, verse 4 says, Who, Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. In other words, uh, sometimes people... D- Decide to wait till just the perfect time, the perfect circumstance, the perfect situation before they pull the trigger. Normally, when we do that, we won't pull the trigger. And there's a lot of closet perfectionists running around there are waiting for just the perfect time till all their ducks are in the row before they make a move. Another cause of procrastination is fear. Proverbs 29, 25 reads, The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but the, whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Sometimes we put things off because we're just afraid it won't work out. Uh, another, other times we procrastinate because we can't seem to get full control of something. Proverbs 18, very interesting. Verse 9 reads, One who is slack in his work is a brother to one who destroys. What's he saying? Well, the point is, sometimes we put things off because we want to make sure we manipulate it and make sure we get it all done the way we want it first so we can be in control. But I think most of us in here know what the major cause of procrastination is. What is it? Yeah, that's it. It's being lazy. Proverbs 13, 4 reads, The sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desire of the diligent are fully satisfied. We all want to do things the easy way. We love books that say, 10 easy steps to get in shape. We'd rather read one that says three easy ways to get in shape. You know, we like the easy way. Nobody would ever answer an ad that says, give us a decade and we'll take off the weight. No, it's give us a month and we'll take off the weight. No, only a month? I mean, I'm in. Then we're right back to popcorn and, you know, ice cream and that kind of thing. A lazy man won't even feed themselves, the Bible says. I got a preacher friend. He said he's got a, a buddy of his in the church that is an artist at lazy. He says he sits in his lazy boy with a cell phone and his remote control, and when he gets hungry, he calls Domino's Pizza, and he tells the delivery boy to come in the back door down the hallway in the living room and bring his pizza, and he'll pay for it there. He doesn't even get out of his chair to eat his pizza. Now, that's lazy. Several causes for procrastination. But here, let's just go to number two, because I, I want to spend a lot of our time talking about the curse of procrastination, what it costs us, because it's, it's a high cost. First of all, I wrote down it cost us opportunities of service. I mean, this passage we read, Jesus is out looking for disciples, and all he got was a bunch of excuses. The first guy said, oh, I'll follow you. Let me go back and bury my dad first. Now, if you read that passage and study it, and then you compare it to the other gospels who wrote about it, what you're going to find out is that was a very young man, and so his dad's pretty relatively young too. And so here's what he's actually saying. I'd love to be a disciple. Let me go back home, spend a few more years with my dad. When he gets old and passes away, then I'll come and be your disciple. The other guy can't serve immediately because he's looking backwards too. I don't know a whole lot about farming, I'll admit that, but I know you can't plow that way looking that way. You'll make a mess. And both of these guys, one of them was a scribe, both of them were wanting to volunteer to serve. But when they found out the cost, they backed out. They made excuses. No wonder the workers are few. See, the point is, Jesus doesn't mind if you take time out for funerals. In fact, he commands that. Second uh, Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus says uh, that if you don't take care of your family, especially your immediate family, you're worse than an unbeliever. So it's not about taking care of business. What Jesus is reminding us is, if you want to be his disciple, it causes a complete reprioritizing of your life, and it has to be immediate. He ran into this everywhere he went. People wouldn't take him seriously. 
He kept trying to point out to people the magnitude of what it takes to be a follower of Jesus. It can't just be a part-time, once-in-a-while deal. He said, look, if you found a pearl of great price, wouldn't you sell everything you had to make sure you got that? If you're out in the field and you're digging around and you found a treasure, wouldn't that be your top priority to sell all your property and buy that field so you can get out and get the treasure? Following me is a big deal, Jesus wants everybody to know. He had trouble with this in his inner circle. Remember in Matthew 26 when he took Peter, James, and John to the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, I'm troubled to the point of death over this thing. I'm going to agonize. I'm going to pray. Look, I'm going to go over and pray. Would you guys stay here and keep watch because they're coming after me and pray with me? And he went over and started to pray. When he came back, they were sound asleep. He said, get up. What's the matter with you? Keep watching. Pray. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Isn't that the truth? And so he went back over here again and sweat as it were drops of blood as he agonized on what he had to do, take all of our sins on his body, die on terrible on the cross. I mean, the whole arsenal of the demonic force must have been at him that day. And all he wanted was them to pray with him and work with him. But every time he went back, they were sound asleep. Had to go through it alone. They napped their way through the final, most meaningful moments of Jesus' life. They went to sleep on their watch. And I want to know how about us? Because it's our turn, and we're in those days. How's your perspective? Horizontal? Because there's sure a lot going on out there. Or is it vertical? I love what David Jeremiah says. He writes, in time, each of them would write books about Jesus and the meaning of his incarnation. Each of them would perform miracles and fully devote himself to the spread of the gospel. Two of the three would give their lives in martyrdom for their master. Surely they atoned for their moments of weakness. But as long as they lived, they must have had regrets. Sad memories of the lost twilight in the garden, a squandered opportunity to support Jesus when he needed them the most, the chance to make the last moments before his arrest a little bit less painful, and to be part of a singular moment where time blended with eternity. Spilled water, he says, never returns to the cup. Psychologists tell us that when we get a feeling to make, to move, to do something, and we put it off, chances are very likely we'll never do it. We let the emotions, they say, uh, substitute the action. And isn't that the truth? How many times you get tugged by the Holy Spirit to make a call, to send somebody some money, to stop by the nursing home, to write somebody a text and check on them, and you think, yeah, I'll do that, I'll do it tomorrow, and tomorrow happens, and you never do it. We let the thought take place of the action. And yet, it's written across the parables of Jesus over and over and over again. When we get stirred in our hearts by the Holy Spirit to do something, we should do it. Time's running out. Time's a treasure. We don't want to miss opportunities. If you have something to do for the Lord, you should do it. Several years ago, I went into the hospital. Uh, Tony Fox was there, and his mom was, uh, she was waning, and uh, so I went in, and, and I sat with them, and it was long and drawn out. Some of you have seen that. I've seen way too much of it. I prayed with her. I held her hand. She passed away. I spent some more time with them. And then I said, you guys go home. I'll wait for the funeral home. So that all happened. And, you know, it takes a while. So it, when that got done, I was so tired. I was ready to go home. And my father-in-law had just passed away about 12 hours before that. And so I was just emotionally a wreck. And I thought, I'm going to go home. And the Holy Spirit, I'm not kidding, almost spoke. You need to stop by Ruth Mitchell's room. Well, I didn't want to stop by Ruth Mitchell's room. That's my brother-in-law's mom, and she wasn't doing very well either. And I knew they were all there. And I started out of the hospital, and no, 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 you stop. So I thought, I'll just stop in there and stick my head in. And I stuck my head in, and nobody was in there. They had all gone downstairs to eat. And I went in and held her hand while she passed away. 
And they were so thankful that she didn't pass away by herself. And I would have missed that if I hadn't gone in there. And I wish I could say it's always been that way with me, but it's not. I've missed a lot of opportunities to serve because I didn't act when I was pushed to act. I've missed a lot of opportunities to witness miracles because I didn't act. This procrastination, man, it robs us. I got a friend who said he was trying to get on to 75. They were on vacation. They were in a hurry. And they were trying to merge on 75 on one of those off-ramps. And he said some idiot. Well, let's see. Idiots go faster than you. Morons drive slower. It's an idiot. No, it's a moron. Some moron in front of him had him backed all the way up on the ramp because he was afraid to go. He was going to wait till there was no traffic on 75 before he'd pull out. Finally, it looked like he could go, and he went about 12 feet and put on the brakes again because there was a truck coming. My friend said, I finally rolled down the window and said, hey, moron, it says yield, not give up. And sometimes that's us, man. Sometimes we're walking through life with our brakes on, yielding to everything, missing all kinds of opportunities. And the problem with driving with your brakes on is it it consumes energy, it wastes energy, it, it tears up your brake pads, and it's hard on the engine. And the Lord's telling you to do something. You're being moved by the Spirit. We're singing these songs about being spoke by the If He's telling you you need to go, you need to do what He's telling you to do. I love this poem. He was going to be all immoral could be tomorrow. No one would be kinder or braver than he tomorrow. A friend who was troubled and weary he knew would be glad for a lift and who needed it to. On him he would call and see what he could do tomorrow. Each morning he'd stack up the letters he'd write tomorrow. He thought of all the folks he'd fill with the light tomorrow. It was too bad indeed he was busy today and hadn't a moment to stop on his way. More time he'd give to others, he'd say, tomorrow. The greatest of workers this man would have been tomorrow. The whole world would have known him if only he'd seen tomorrow. But the fact is he died and faded from view and all that was left when living was through was a mountain of things he intended to do tomorrow. No one who sets his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Now we know what Jesus is talking about. It robs us of opportunities. I'll tell you number two. It robs us of opportunities for success. And you don't have to be a Christian to know this one. I mean, you have to be a Christian to live eternally. You have to be a Christian to have forgiveness of sins. You have to be a Christian to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you in a rich, full life. But everybody knows that you can waste an opportunity for success if you procrastinate. Ivy League was a consultant back in the turn of the 20th century when uh, Charles Schwab was the chairman of Bethel Steel, Bethlehem Steel. So he calls League in to give them some ideas on how to be more productive. And he said, very simple, I got a very simple plan. He said, you, when you go home tonight, think of the six most important things you have to do tomorrow and list them in priority of importance. And tomorrow when you get to work, do the first one. Do it till it's done, check it off, and go to number two. Do it till it's done and right on down the line. Swab said, how much do I owe you for this advice? He said, I'm going to tell you what, Charles. Put this into strict operation for two months, and then you send me a check for what you think it's worth. Two months later, you send him a check for $25,000. It's back at the turn of the 20th century. It's a great plan, simple plan. So I'm kind of going to ask you this morning, if you had a to-do list of the six most important things you could do, not to make more money, not to be more successful, but to serve God in his kingdom tomorrow, what would that list look like? Let's go home and work on that. Arnold Bennett said it's all about time. Time is the inexplicable raw material of everything. It's the spiritual molecular structure of our entire world. He says, your career is composed of time. 
Your marriage and family success are measured in time. Your relationship to God is measured in time. Then he asks, will the time charge of your life please you and the Lord when the day comes for you to give an account? Wow. But number three, I think, is the worst one. Procrastination robs people sometimes of their salvation. All of us know people. I know some people in this church have been putting off coming to Jesus for months, weeks, sometimes years. It's tragic. Uh, classic example of that in the Bible is Acts chapter 24. Paul's on trial for sedition, and he's before Felix, and Felix brought his wife, and she was a character. She was part of the Herod group, and Felix had stolen her from her husband to be his wife, so it wasn't a real good start anyway. Her, she was from the Herod family, so for example, her, her dad killed John and, and tried to kill Peter. Her uncle uh, was Herod and Antipas, and he beheaded John the Baptist. Her great-great-grandfather was Herod the Great, and he ordered the murder, mass murder of all the babies to try to get to Jesus. So this is a, a bad woman and, and with a, a bad guy, and Paul is before them doing what Paul always did. He's preaching the gospel in court. To Paul, the whole world was the pulpit. But I want to read verse 24 after I set that up, and I want you to see if you can see the tragedy of procrastination in it. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusella, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about Jesus Christ. As Paul discoursed on righteousness and self-control and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may go. I'll call you when it's convenient. In other words, Paul, I'm kind of busy right now. Uh, you can call me back. In fact, I, I, don't call me back. I'll call you. Th these are hauntingly contemporary words that we've all used before. I, I intend to do something later. S somebody once wrote that intend, you, you can de define that as, as burying something. You bury any chance of getting something done and put it in the graveyard of what might have been. It's very clear. Listen, when we get a voice, a call, a tug from the Lord, we should act on it immediately. Tomorrow's a very tricky proposition. <laughs> the Bible makes that clear over and over again. We have no idea what tomorrow even looks like. In fact, the Bible gives us 18 different metaphors to remind us how brief our life is. And I wonder sometimes if we listen to that, because we just make plans, you know. Oh, we're going to go on a picnic tomorrow, and it rains. I'm going to start my diet tomorrow. And then Jackie Goss brings in these rolls with icing about that. Oh, these were so good. Now, I'm going to start reading my Bible tomorrow, for sure. I'm going to get up early in the morning, and then somebody calls you early in the morning. I'm going to start, you know how we do? One person said, if you piled up enough tomorrows, you'll end up with a lot of empty yesterdays. I love Isaiah 55, verse 6. It says, seek the Lord while he might be found. Call upon him while he is near. Dwight L. Moody, uh, famous evangelist. You've probably read some of his stuff, but in... Uh, on October 8, 1871, he was preaching, he said, to the largest crowd he'd ever spoke to in Chicago, Illinois. And he was preaching on, uh, the message was, what will you do with Jesus? And he was talking about Pilate and Pilate having to make his decisions. And he said, now, here's what I'd like you to consider this week. I'd like you to consider the cross. And when you come back next week, I'm going to ask you, what will you do with Jesus? He said, we concluded the service with the hymn, but we didn't get the hymn finished because in the middle of the hymn, we heard the fire engines, and we went outside to look, and people were panicking, fleeing the streets. That was the night of the famous Chicago fire that almost wiped it off the map. He never got to preach the sermon on the cross. He said, I'll never again give people a week to make their decision. It haunted him for the rest of his life. How many people were ready to give their life that night? 
How many people would have come forward that night? How many windows of opportunity closed because of putting it off? And we got to ask, how about us? I want to know what you're waiting for today. What opportunities will go up in flame for you because you're not acting on it? Again, I know some people in this church who need to give their life to Jesus Christ. They keep putting it off. One of these days. Some of us in here have been tugged on by the Holy Spirit to go on a mission trip, to send somebody some money, to help Jackie and Mark. They get up every week and ask for help, to do something, to move somewhere, to go someplace, to do something. How long are you going to put up with that tug before you act on it? And how long do you think he'll tug before he quits? Some of us need to get our homes in order. We got fences to mend. We're, we're arguing with family members, maybe a husband, maybe a spouse, maybe one of our kids. Some of our dads in here, we need to get our families in order. You need to be the spiritual leader in your church and lead it the way God wants you to. Some of us are being led to do something to work. Some of our kids in here are being called upon to live the same way at school that you live here at church. You know what I'm talking about. Some of us are being moved to give up that sin. The one that we come up here week after week after week and ask forgiveness for. Quit putting it off. Procrastination is a curse. It cuts us off from success. It cuts us off from opportunities to serve. And if we're not careful, it can cut us off from salvation. It needs to die. How are we going to do that? Real quick, and then I'm going to, I'm going to be right down here to pray. Number one, you've you got to stop making excuses. Proverbs twenty-two thirteen 13 points out a lazy man is full of excuses. And by the way, isn't it funny how we have excuses? Or how every, we have excuses. Everybody else has excuses. We have reasons. I speak for a living. Okay, so... You all have excuses and I have reasons. We rationalize why we can't get things done. And we always put the word gonna butt in there. You know what I mean? I thought you were going to start helping out the youth group. I was going to butt. I got busy, you know. I thought you was going to start reading your Bible every morning. I was going to butt. One guy said, stop talking to me about excuses. I wrote the book on excuses. Well, I was going to, but I got kind of, it was harder than I thought. It took a lot of time. Ben Franklin once said, people who are good at making excuses are rarely good at anything else. Stop making excuses. Do what you're going to do. Secondly, we've got to face our fears. We normally don't do things because uh, we're afraid of one or two things. Number one, we're afraid we'll bomb. Well, I'd like to get up on stage and sing, but I'm afraid I'll make a fool of myself. I'd like to help teach the kids, but I'm afraid we won't be able to do it. Just do it. The second thing we're afraid of is we'll be good at it, and they'll ask us to do it again. And I did real good. Now I've set the bar. I've got to do it again. Just do it. Philippians 4, 13 says we've, it, we, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. 1 Timothy 1, 7, he didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of self-discipline. Just do what you've been called to do. Number three, come up with a plan, set a budget, whatever you're going to do, and do it. I hear all the time, man, I just wanted to get this done. I wanted to start this. I wanted to get involved here. I wanted to, but I just don't have enough time. Yeah, you do. God gave us all 24 hours. What do you think God would say to that? Oh, are you trying to convince me if I gave you 25 hours tomorrow, you'd set your priorities? Everybody in here has got enough time to serve Christ. Everybody in here has got enough time to read the Scripture and to bring their family up in the ways of the Lord. We just need to plan on how to do it and get it done. Number four, don't give up. Galatians 6, verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. So keep going. And number five, start today. Don't say, oh, man, I'm ready to go. This is what the Spirit told me. I'm going to start tomorrow. I'm going to, no, you start today. <laughs> one of these days turns into none of these days real quick if we're not careful. 
We're running out of time. How many times have you heard me say that in 34 years? One thing's for sure, we got less time than we did the last time I said that we're running out of time. I think it's close. I think when Christ comes back, it's going to be a surprise for sure, but it's going to be very decisive. He's going to be in full control. I always love the story. This Massachusetts governor was running for re-election, and uh, at the end of the rally, they were serving barbecue chicken. They didn't have much, so they told the lady one piece per person. Well, he got in line. He said, man, could I have two pieces? I'm... She said, no, sir, one piece of chicken per person. And he kind of thought she was kidding. He giggled a little bit. He said, man, I've been at it 14 hours. I haven't eaten today. Could I have two pieces? She said, no, sir, one piece of chicken per person. It kind of ticked him off. He said, lady, maybe you don't know who I am. I'm the governor of the, of the state of Massachusetts. She said, sir, maybe you don't know who I am. I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Take your chicken and move on. And he did. That's the way it's going to be when Christ comes back. Full control, man. In charge, unhindered, uninterrupted, unchallenged, king of kings and lord of lords. Now, the first time Jesus came, he came very quietly, unassuming, in a manger. Very few people know it. But I want to remind you, when he comes the next time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is both Lord and Christ. And if you're in this church building today and you're putting that off, I'm not giving you another week. You do it right now, right today, right here. You come up and talk to me. Now is the time of salvation the Bible says. The rest of us, we're not going to waste this opportunity. Spending our life loving on the one who made all this possible, the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's tugging on you to do, but I I bet you, because I know he's in the building, he started on you already. Take some time to talk it over with him and to get empowered by him to do what you've been told to do.